Today is Monday, June 26, 2023, and this is another episode of Lots to Talk About. My guest this evening grew up in rural Wisconsin with lots of room to roam, experiment, and explore. He was also homeschooled before that was cool, which I think is pretty cool now, but uh, I know what he's talking about back in the day. He makes his living as a home inspector and a homesteading consultant. He loves to innovate solutions and is passionate about building soil, building community, and building better, more resilient food systems. I'm excited to hear what kind of rabbit holes we down. And with that, I would like to welcome two lots to talk about. Ryan, the homestead consultant. How is it going, man? Good. How are you doing? I, man, it's a, it's another Monday night, and I, uh, I could routinely get to talk to cool people that have interesting stories, so don't disappoint me, all right? Yeah, I'll try not to. Uh, it's great that you get to talk to people all the time. I think that's a pretty cool uh, pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, and I kind of went down, I've been going down this road with um, with the interview shows kind of away from homesteading. That's where I, I kind of, I didn't, that's where I came from, I, but prior to um, and right at the beginning of, of the podcast, that's that's kind of the space I was in and kind of where I built all my networks. But I'm kind of transitioning into some other stuff, but still in that space. So I just wanted to start talking to people. And so I kind of started to talk to a lot of people that weren't homesteaders. And then uh, you were on Tim's show and he sent me a message. He's like, hey, you should talk to Ryan. Tim and I, I mean, we talk quite a bit. And yeah. um and I was like, I got it. I got to have you on. And um, just looking into things, you said Wisconsin when, when we first talked. And then when we were talking before, you said Minnesota. And like I didn't even put two and two together. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Wisconsin. And uh, my family actually m- left Wisconsin to Tennessee, my, my parents and siblings, while I was in college in Minnesota. So um, okay. I kind of got left behind. Um and so since I was in Minnesota for college, I just, and there's nobody to go back to Wisconsin for, I stayed there for, I think, 12 or 15 years, somewhere in that range. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, anyway, introduce yourself. I, I kind of just threw, threw right past that, but uh, yeah. let, let the audience know who you are. Uh, um, if they haven't heard of you, uh, I kind of gave a little bit of a background, but uh, say hi, and then we can kind of run back to when you were a kid and let's uh, see where you, how you got to where you're at. Sure. Well, where I'm at now is uh, I'm running a couple of my own businesses. Um, it was kind of, I basically was forced into it, which I'll, we can maybe talk a bit about more. Um, but I love it. Uh, it's hectic. It's a lot of work, but uh, my two businesses are well, the first one I started about four years ago and that's home inspecting. Um, I've got a background in, in all kinds of construction and electrical and things like that. So I had a pretty good grasp of it already, and I really love troubleshooting because that's that's something I grew up with, something I did for a job for a while. Um, so that really fit well. Um, and more recently, because I've been doing homesteading, I've been really interested in permaculture for years. Um, while I was getting that uh, the home inspection business off the ground, I ended up... Uh, helping a lot of friends and family kind of as as a side thing just to help get them 
going, get gardens going, get them set up with chickens, you know, get water systems set up, put in orchards. So I was like, well, why don't I just do this as a business? I clearly like I I've proven that I can do it. I understand how these systems work together. I've kind of already made all the mistakes on my own property that that I'm going to make. So, you know, maybe I can help other people not make those mistakes. Um, and I, it's what I really have a passion for. So I started doing the homesteading stuff as well. And I work really hard to have creative solutions uh, that don't cost an arm and a leg, uh, you know, to, to help people do the things that make the most sense and, and give them the most benefit with the least input. Um, and that's something I've really had to learn because running my own businesses, I don't have a lot of time to be home doing things. So I need things that do most of it themselves. Right. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. For sure. That, that was, uh, I think that was my, besides, I think besides watching the animals grow and like taking something that you went down, like we ran a hatchery and things. So like taking that egg, egg from the bird and then eating that bird eventually um, was pretty cool. But the automating things and the figuring out how to do more with less and less time was that was my deal in, in homesteading. Yep. That was uh, that was what I got my rocks off on for sure. That's awesome. And yeah, it's so easy to like dive into the big exciting thing and not get, you know, not get the infrastructure set up right first. And so then you're spending so much time, you know, chasing your sheep around or, <laughs> you know, brooding more chickens because they all got eaten or whatever, because and you're not able to actually do the next thing you wanted to do. So putting those things in the right order is so important. And it's hard to know what the right order is until you've done it. Well, right. Oh, I mean, I, I made plenty of plenty of mistakes and went back and, and learned from them all. And I think when we were done, the culmination of that, like people ask me, you know, you spent eight, you spent five years, like we were five years when we decided we weren't doing it anymore. And then it wasn't like we just stopped everything. We had to like sell stuff off. So we still maintained for another almost two years sure. um, before we didn't have anything. And um People are like, oh, you spent all that time and da da da. Isn't don't you feel like it was a waste? Absolutely not, because you know, if I bought if I bought five acres tomorrow, I know exactly what I would do, mm -hmm. exactly. And it's because of everything I did wrong the last time. <laughs> right? Yeah, it really hones your skills when you, you know, you you probably get eighty ninety percent of it right, but you're like, oh, if I would have changed that one thing, my life would have been a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we were dealing with a lot of type one errors from the farm that was there. Like we were taking sure. over, there was a, a, a commercial farm that hadn't been used for 10 years. It was just a, a residence at that point. And it, uh, yeah, it was just all set up wrong for what we wanted to do and how we wanted to use it. So, you know, starting from zero and building to building with the, the land, um, but not a bunch of other people's ideas in the way can be right. a lot easier <laughs> yeah as, assuming you have had those experiences in the past with the mistakes because you know uh if you're starting with a totally blank slate that can be overwhelming too sometimes <laughs> yeah oh for sure for sure so anyway wisconsin did you grow yeah. up doing this was this um uh was homesteading was that a way of life from day one or were you kind of in the town or how was, how was the the childhood you said you were homeschooled yeah, so uh, starting in second grade, I was homeschooled up 
until high school. And then I went to a private, a little tiny private school uh, for high school. But basically, I had a lot of freedom. As long as I got my chores and things done, I had a lot of freedom to to go and explore on our property. We had about seven acres and we we're surrounded by, well, for most of the most of my childhood, we were surrounded by farmland. Um, so, you know, it was, I go chop down a tree and try to build a log cabin if I wanted to or whatever. And never, that never worked, but I did try, um, you know, and I was allowed to be dangerous in maybe more than I let my kids to some extent, but you know, it was, it was really good. I learned so much in the times I got hurt. I learned how not to get hurt again. And, um, yeah, I can, my dad's a mechanic. And so there's always some junk Subaru that we had that we got to drive around the field. So I remember being eight and I was kind of a small kid at the time. Um, so I had to like sit on a phone book. I learned how to drive stick at eight, uh, in our field. I could barely see over the, you know, over the dash. Um, and then a couple of years later, we took, uh, it's like a, a silage cover or something. It's a, it's this big bowl, like metal galvanized bowl that you could fit like three or four people in. And we turned it upside down, hooked it up to a rope and uh, just, dragged it. Just that. randomly, you yeah. know how many people might fit in that thing. <laughs> I think we fit more than that, but they weren't full adults. So, um, yeah, we dragged that about 20 or 30 feet behind the car. So it'd be like tubing behind a boat. But you'd be in the snow, um, so that was that was our entertainment. Uh, that was not at all safe. Uh, <laughs> but we did stuff like that all the time. And if I wanted something, basically, I had to figure out how to make it. You know, it wasn't like you know our society today is such a throwaway society, and that was starting when I was a kid. Um, but it really hadn't reached the peak that it has now. And so, if I wanted a bike, I'd basically have to take parts from multiple broken bikes and make a bike. And I learned so much about how things work. Um, there's a, there's something I always say where like interacting with the physical world gives us such a better idea on how something we design will work. Um, and I'll have people who, who want to do something differently than, um, than what they've learned or make a modification but they haven't had the experience of what will happen in the physical world if you change that. And so they'll wonder why it didn't work. And well, I had that experience as a kid, you know, I got to, I got to kind of figure that out as I was growing up uh, rather than, rather than having to sort through that as an adult. So those early years of being able to just adventure and try things, um, really made a big difference in my life as far as what I'm capable of. Um, and so I try to try to let my kids be mostly feral, you know, they're, they're running around climbing trees, uh, you know, doing the things they want to do. Um, and, and they have learned so much by doing that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, you were just saying like taking bikes and putting them together I just remember being a kid taking stuff apart and putting it back together. The mm -hmm. same thing, like trying to take something apart that worked and put it back together so it worked. So it still worked. Yeah. Like half the, half the time I wasn't taking the things apart that were broke to fix them. I was taking apart things that were working to see how they worked and hopefully they continued to work. Exactly. And then when you had the pile of things that still needed to go back in it, you're like, I guess I got to do this again. You got parts. You got mm -hmm. parts uh, to make something else. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those probably I, I, weren't necessary. Yeah, I, I definitely, <laughs> definitely um, understand the the danger, the getting hurt, the doing things and learning limits and learning what's what happens. Like your fingers getting numb when you blow them up with firecrackers because you didn't throw it quick enough. Um, mm-hmm. Like I only did that once. Like right. I'm glad I didn't lose my thumb or my forefinger, but I never did it again. And I'm extra cautious when I do that as an adult. Yeah. Now there's some interesting studies on like kids who have kind of like medium height falls and how, how it changes their, their um, fear of heights. So they actually tend to be much less afraid of heights than kids who didn't fall, which is I very. I fell out of a tree and I'll tell you, I'm still afraid of heights. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I fell out of like, I was probably like, 15 feet up in a tree and I did like the whole cartwheel down over the branches and land <laughs> in the ground and then try, try to pretend like it didn't happen when I got home to mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Yep. That'll, yeah, that'll I'm still, knock scared, I'm still scared chillless of heights, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do, I, I think experiencing, experiencing things and understanding that you're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And not being afraid of the world and the wind blowing is uh, is a very valuable thing that I don't think a lot of kids. So you got to be probably in my age range in the in your mid forties, early forties. No, I'm, I'm almost forty. Almost okay. Forty. I mean, well, within enough. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I had a little bit of a head start on you, but yeah, that that and you were you were rural. Yes. Um, so I think it that lags too. And yeah. so I think we were probably about the same culture. I was a small town and being rural, I don't think it changed that much. Uh, yeah, dude, I, it, it, I see it. I saw it as I, I got older and through my twenties, the way people were treating their kids and now we're seeing the result of it mm-hmm. and everybody's scared of everything. And is it, it, is it possibly on purpose? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's uh, some rabbit holes to go down there for sure. <laughs> but but anyway, so so grew up and and did you did you guys grow food? Did you farm at all? You said your dad was a mechanic. Did you have yeah. did you, you had seven acres? Yeah, so we had goats, but they were really more of pets. It was kind of a uh, tragic event when we had to eat one of them. Um, so and we had chickens when I was really little, but. You know, like the the common complaint with people who who think about getting chickens is, oh, they they stink and it's a ton of work, and that's kind of how they were for us. They stink. They're a ton of work. We didn't get a lot of eggs out of them, uh, so we we got rid of them. Of course, some simple design changes, and they don't stink at all. And you can leave them for a week and not have to pay any attention to them, and and they're about the easiest thing ever. But. Um, yeah, so I did. We did have that. We had in Wisconsin. We're like in the middle of the most fertile farmland, pretty much anywhere. Uh, so we had a garden. Um, not every year, but some years. Uh, one year we had so many rabbits that uh, our garden wasn't doing well. So we ended up having a rabbit garden. I took it upon myself to eliminate all the rabbits, and we made them into stew. Nice. Um, so yeah, we, we did some of that. I did some hunting as a kid, things like that. Um, so I had some exposure, but I wasn't, we didn't like run a homestead. We had some animals is, is more the, it's almost like we had a, a glorified petting zoo. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. So, 
so what did you end up going to school for? So you went to school in Minnesota and the family took off on you. It was kind of like the home alone. They like sent you away and then they're just like, Hey, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I went for youth development and, uh, I, I also have a degree in Bible and theology. So a couple of interesting things that, uh, to be honest, I've never used and I wish I would have just gone into the workforce, but you know, it's, uh, that was when I was, just getting into college, that was 2003-ish, um, 2002, 2003. Um, it was like the big thing where like everybody was pushing. There wasn't the pushback yet of, well, maybe you shouldn't go to college. Um, I think my parents did did give me some of that, which was rare. And there was just so many voices of so many people um, just saying you got to go to college you got to get a degree if you get some kind of degree you know it's better than nothing and i've just realized how untrue that was but it was kind of the the early stages of the you have to go to college movement yeah that that was heavy with us in um basically deciding what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're 16 or 17 mm -hmm. years old yep what i don't know what i want to do now I'm 45 years old. I don't know what I want to do. Don't, don't, don't. I, I can't believe that I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 17. Right. I didn't know what I wanted to eat for dinner when I was 17, let alone what I, you know, it's just, it's an asinine thing to ask a kid to decide and then spend that much money risking the rest of their lives of, of financial freedom on a, Hey, I hope you got it right. Right. Exactly. And I mean, it's one thing to do something, you know, to try something and go, oh, I kind of like that. And it's another to actually do that as your occupation. Right. 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 It's, it's I thought, I thought the trade school, the trade school route was so nice, uh, especially with like uh, apprenticeships and things like that, where you can get it almost free or if not get paid to learn. And um, man, if you don't like it, guess what? You just got paid to learn. You have a new skill and you can go and, uh, and do it again in a different trade. Right. I thought that was like the most. I went to college and then I didn't. I, I started bartending and I did that for like a decade until I pulled my head on my butt and uh, then started, you know, learning things in the in the workforce. And at that point, it was a little late for me to be an apprentice. But I decided I was going to get a job and learn it as best I could. And when I got bored, I went and got another job and took a step back and learned everything I could. And that's just what I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's great, right? Because with, I think, what you and I and probably others kind of see coming, like there's some problems coming in our economy, in our systems, um, in the cities. And having those like learning a bunch of different skills being that kind of uh you know jack of all trades and yeah. master of none or maybe master of one or a couple master of some <laughs> yeah um i think that's more valuable than being the master of of some tiny tiny narrowly defined niche where you you know you can't see the forest for the trees right. uh, that you know i think Maybe that little tiny niche is is beneficial at the moment, but ten years from now, is it beneficial? You, you know, I uh, I I wish I could. Uh, I wish I can say that I got the job because of this. But over the last five years, the job I had before we we sold and hit the road in the trailer was uh, I worked on fuel dispensers mm -hmm. and 
gas stations and like literally if the power was out and the grid was down and all that shit i could get you fuel out of a gas station and i i was sitting there at one point when i was just ready to be done and we knew what we were doing we were taking off and all this and i was like man i got a really valuable skill out of this uh it goes sideways (laughs) it won't last that long because all the fuel will be gone but man while it's there i'll be a pretty valuable son of a bitch yeah exactly uh, that's you funny. Get, I could get you the flute fuel without blowing yourself up is the biggest thing. <laughs> right. And I'm sure there would have been, if, if stuff goes sideways, I'm sure there's going to be, sadly, a lot of people blowing themselves up. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh, yes, 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 for sure. For sure. So, so school, um, you got done and just, and you stuck around in Minnesota? I did. So that's like middle of the recession. Um, and I swore I'd never moved to Tennessee, which that changed um so yeah i i stuck around and i my wife and i got a house in you know oh nine so it was really cheap as a foreclosure and we spent several years uh just totally renovating it um so and i got a job because it was middle of recession it was hard to find jobs and i'd just come out of school so i ended up getting a job with a cable company and realizing that though the pay wasn't great and the hours and the people I was working with weren't that great. I actually really enjoyed the troubleshooting side of it. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually, like I could take college level courses on, on radio frequencies and system maintenance and stuff like that. So I, I plowed through a whole bunch of those and got to learn about, you know, radio frequencies, antenna theory, all kinds of interesting stuff that has actually come in pretty handy for me uh, since then. But Trump really getting a grasp on on how to troubleshoot from one end to another of the system became really really valuable and it's a, a skill i've held with me so i did that for about eight years worked my way up into uh system maintenance and uh then i did project management and things um with with similar you know large companies like level three and others uh as uh, for fiber optics as well. So that's, that was kind of what I did while I was in Minnesota before I moved to Tennessee. And why did you leave? What, what was your catalyst <laughs> for leaving Minnesota? Well, um, so I don't know what your, your faith, uh, is, but, um, I felt like God was telling me I had to. And basically we came down and I'm like, okay, fine. If I have to, I'll start applying for jobs, but it's going to be a couple of years. And so, I put my resume out at a bunch of places in, well, maybe like four or five places in Nashville. And within a day, I had a, a job offer for way more than I was making in Minnesota. So it's kind of like, well, I guess uh, guess we're moving. Um, and they're like, we need you here in, a, I think it was like a month or two. It was really, really <laughs> short. Um, so that's how I ended up moving. Um, and that kind of leads to, to what how I ended up doing what I'm doing, which is that company still exists, but I think they were kind of tanking and Nashville was growing so fast that companies were coming in and, and bidding jobs for less than what I, what like cost on the job was. And I was doing account management and sales. And so, um, I wasn't able to sell a whole lot because I couldn't bid below what, you know, what the job would cost. So, Oh no, I've worked for companies. They do that. They yeah. do it all the time. It, it, yeah. And yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> they don't stay open that long, but no. Well, and this is a little inside baseball, but basically all the companies that were coming into Nashville doing that were like, they're bidding based on what the, the company thought they needed help with, you know, whatever, like a construction company needs a, an electrical or low voltage company to come in and do, they'd write up a scope of work and the scope of work was all messed up. And so these companies would bid based on that scope of work and not mention that there was issues with the scope of work. And then they do change orders later at really high rates. And I'm like, that's completely shady and I'm not doing that. Um, well, welcome to so. the build, the business of building gas stations. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Cause it's, it's the same thing. It's construction. And so all the different trades are going to do the same thing. Um, and that just, it didn't work for me. So that lasted for about a year and a half before I was just, I washed my hands of it. They're like, well, you know, making enough sales for it to work for us. So we just parted ways and, um, yeah. So then now you're in, now you're in Tennessee and the job that brought you here and it's gone. And yep. what do you, what do you, what are you thinking at that point? Are you, are you in the mindset that you wanted to do something for yourself? Are you, are you thinking I got to figure it out how to find a job? Um, what were the prospects? So I hadn't gotten kicked quite hard enough to start my own thing yet. I still figured I needed to do a job. Uh, so I took kind of a temporary job to fill a, fill a void uh, until I could find something that really fit well. And that company ended up going under. Um, and, as like, I knew that was coming, uh, about a month or two in advance. So I started reaching out to people. And when I had my home inspection done here in Tennessee, the, uh, the inspector was like, Hey, have you ever considered being a home inspector? And so when this other company was going under, that was kind of like ringing in my ear. So I reached out to him, couldn't get a hold of him. And then I reached out to another home inspector I knew. And he's like, yeah, I'd hire you just get the training. So I did the training. Um, got hired on with him and, uh, he was, uh, there's some complications and basically he was providing about three hours of work a week. And so I had to go and just find work I could do. So I, I effectively started a business helping people set up homesteads as my, my secondary job that was providing way more income than my actual job was, nice. uh, I was doing handyman stuff and things for friends and family as well. And so after about nine months of, of working for him, but getting an average of three hours a week, I was like, well, I guess I'll start my own home inspection business. Um, and so I did. And then obviously a couple of years after that, then I started the homestead uh, consultancy. So that's, that's kind of how I got where I was. I had to get kicked pretty hard over and over again to realize that I could, uh, that I really actually enjoyed working for myself and owning my own business. Along that path, where did the, where did the interest in the homesteading aspect when you made that transition? Cause you were, you were telling, you were in the, in the suburb, well, yeah, Western suburbs, mm -hmm. it would be yep. probably yep. suburbs of Minneapolis. Um, did you have uh, animals or garden or anything there? Or was that everything when you moved to Tennessee? Yeah. So my last year in Minnesota, so a few years before we moved, I'd had a major health episode where I woke up paralyzed in the, like in my, um, in the place we were staying in Florida 
on vacation. Um, so I ended up in the hospital there for a few extra days. And when I got back, I started doing a whole bunch of research, taught myself how to read research papers, medical research papers and studies and things like that. Um, and figured out enough to correct the condition to being 90-ish percent better and basically feeling better than I had for my entire life. I didn't know I was being so handicapped by a condition as I was. I thought it was just normal. Um, so, uh, so I learned about the condition and I started changing my diet significantly. And in that, in that interim between when the issue happened and when I actually got into the mail, which was about nine months, I had figured out how to correct most of the issue that I was having. And so when I got to the Mayo, I started talking to people and I got time after time after time, absolutely atrocious advice. I talked to a dietitian who's like telling me about how I was eating too much red meats and too many proteins. And like, this is literally what's curing me and you're telling me not to do it. Right. Um, and then I meet the, uh, the leading expert on my condition and he's like, yeah, we're, we've got these, uh, these therapeutics that we're using and they're with really good effect and it turns out they're just like high dosing people with diuretics I'm like okay and i i actually later figured out why that worked but i think it worked for about a month month and a half and then it would stop working so you know some of the things we've been through in the last few years and how there's been monkey business with how they do the trials that was my first introduction to that be, that kind of stuff being done and it just flipped a switch it's like there's something seriously broken because if i'm going to the mayo and they're giving me the opposite of the advice that i should be doing then what's you know what's going on here and why and so i would have probably lived most of the rest of my life either in a wheelchair or uh just significantly debilitated had i followed their advice and that was that was the light switch for me, right? Yeah, I mean that that's it's it's the same story, man. Our our kind of wake up call was the same thing. It was my wife though, and um, like some gastrointestinal stuff, mm-hmm. and she worked really hard. She she went completely paleo as hard like as as strict as she could for over a year, and it still was an issue where she had stones and things, so they wanted to take her gallbladder out. She prepared that way, eating so clean. And when she woke up from surgery, they gave her a cookie and juice. And she's like, no, no, I don't want sugar. No, I don't. No, no, yep. you need to have it. <laughs> no. And then uh, Prilosec was the other one with her mm-hmm. doctor telling her it, it'll be the rest of her life. She'll be on it. And then right. the, the warning label saying, don't take it longer than six weeks. And it was like, okay, this isn't adding up. And once you pull that, once you pull the healthcare string, it all unfolds. The diet, the nutrition, then the nutrition into the whole food industry and the farming, and it all it all unravels when you start pulling the healthcare string. Yeah, yeah. It seems like so many people come into this from realizing that there's something broken with our health systems, and obviously that's accelerated in the last few years. but I've seen people come at it from other directions too, right? It's, you know, they start unraveling the, the financial side of it. And they're yeah. like, how does our money system work? You know, <laughs> like, is that true? 
you know, is, yeah. is fractional reserve what I'm being told it is? Is the, you know, is the Federal Reserve a private entity? And so you start to, it seems like if you get the string from one side, if you have any curiosity whatsoever, you pull it and it just, it's like a feed bag, right? The string, you get the string just right. If you get it right, you pull it and it opens the whole thing. Um, and everything inside is revealed. Um, so yeah, that, that was my story to, to how I started down this road. And so I realized, okay, I can buy this food or I can start growing it. Um, I tried my first garden in, in Minnesota. Uh, my wife found something on Pinterest that she liked with a palette. And so we tried it and I had no understanding of the science behind it and it failed really, really hard. (laughs) Um, and so then I was like, I got to figure out how to do this because I want good food. And while I was figuring out how to do that, that was our, our transition to Tennessee. So as soon as we got a house here, I started a garden a few years later, I got chickens. Um, but I just, I kept learning more and more about it. Uh, A few years after we got chickens, um, I started, or maybe a year after I started learning about permaculture and, uh, things like function stacking and uh, all the other principles that go along with permaculture that that make the system so much easier to manage. So, yeah, that's that's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, it's crazy uh, learning it with 90 extra day extra days of uh, between frost dates has got to be a little easier. I, yeah. I you you said that you had the pallet garden. Ours was the. Um, we bought 35 acres, you know, cause we, neither of us had ever had a garden or an animal other than a pet dog or cat. Or mm-hmm. I think Corey had like some rats when she was a kid and I had like a gerbil or a hamster or something. Uh, so why not buy 35 acres and start a farm, you know? Yeah. Perfect. Makes perfect makes sense. sense. Um, we decided we were going to grow a garden. And so we got the soil bag garden. We were going to do soil bag gardens and we put, uh, what was that? Six, six pumpkins in one soil bag and a couple of tomatoes in another one. And all of a sudden I had a jungle inside this little uh, fence that I put in the yard. Actually, Mm -hmm. we mowed down part of the extra yard to put this in and it was just the biggest disaster. And then the next year I got even smarter and I terraced um, raised beds into a, a, probably a 20 degree slope Mm -hmm. because that really looked cool. Um, and it was on the wrong sloping, uh, long, wrong sloping hill. And I had a flat spot with full sun. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. That's one of those things. You don't want to put that kind of time into something. If you're not, if you have the correct place to put the garden. Oh yeah. Yeah. It does look cool though. <laughs> it looked really cool. It sucked to work in though. And I ended up putting, uh, I don't know. We had, I think we had a 12 or 14 raised beds and like six in a row and, we did really good. I mean, we had fun with it. Um, I don't think I'll ever do anything as much as we did any one of the things, but we did, you know, poultry, all that we did chickens and quails and then meat birds and turkeys. I'll do all of them again, but I just want to do them all together at this point. Like I don't need to, sure. I don't need to try to make, um, make an income off it anymore. I got, I figured that out somewhere else. Right. Yeah, I with a lot of my clients, uh, you know, I think everybody has this idea of I'll make money off the farm. And that can be something you can do, but monetizing 
what you're doing is hard. It's one thing if you're like, um, if you're getting a, a few bucks here and there for, for like, uh, let's say some extra eggs you have, um, or selling some veggies at a, at a farmer's market, uh, over the summer, that's fine, but it's not, it's not a great income. Um, the way I like to look at it is I save a lot of money. If I set things up, right, I save a lot of money not having to buy, you know, like the best of the best locally raised vegetables, right? Or the, you know, it's hard for me to find soy free eggs here. So I'm saving money. Like even if I do the calculations, I do save money as to what I'd actually spend to get the quality of food that I'm getting. Um, and then yes, I can sell some eggs, you know, like when I have too many or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to, unless you're doing like a really cool value add kind of thing from the farm or you find some way to like get eggs for free because you've got a waste stream that you can tie into, uh, making, making money, uh, on the homestead, at least to supplement the way that we, we live is quite hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, so our kind of MO with it was run it up until we couldn't do any more. So Corey and I both worked full time while we were doing it. And I mean, we, we exploded. Um, like when we got chickens, we did chickens and then we ended up with like a hundred chickens and, you know, 20 rabbits. And we did it up until the point where we couldn't do it anymore unless one of us went full time on the farm mm-hmm. and then scaled it back. And so we kind of knew where those efficiencies were. We, we kind of said, all right, well, we're going to do 20 minutes of chores for chickens today. If we do it for 15, how many can we get done in that same amount of time? Like if you have to do it anyway, like, and I don't think I'll do it that way again. I think it's great if that's your end goal is to get to your max capacity, but I don't, I think I've changed after experiencing that. And I would probably, I would advise it, but I would caution against it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think there's, uh, there's other ways to make income too, like, we think of selling products and that, that can work, but it's tough to sell enough product to, to make that work, um, and produce enough product to make that work. But like I've monetized homesteading, right? (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm doing something with that. Not everybody can do that. Um, because then, you know, you know, if you have, if you oversaturate the market, um, but there are other creative things you can do. I know people who want to, uh, open like a, a speakeasy on their property in their barn. You know, that's that's a possible way of bringing in income and building community because one of the big things that I think is really valuable and important is having other people who you're working with who know how to do things, maybe know how to do things you don't know how to do or have the equipment to do things. So, you know, it's they're, they're stacking those functions again, right? They're, they're getting an income from that, that kind of, uh, communal thing that they're doing and they're they're making connections with people who they can do business with and help each other out in a mutual way right right yeah that was that was a big scary thing when um when we decided we were going to sell and leave like we had everything we needed we had everything we wanted 
uh, when COVID hit, we didn't go to the store. We just went to the freezer. We went to the hydroponic system in the kitchen. We went to the barn and got eggs. Like we didn't go. We didn't. Oh, you, you got to wear a mask if you you're going to go to the store. Well, fuck you. I'm not going to go to the store is basically right. our, the way it went for us. Um, but giving that up and selling that, it was kind of scary until I realized the skills I can bring to people that do that do. No one, no one that has a homestead, a working homestead that is providing for themselves provides exactly for themselves. Like I've realized right. this. Um, you have access. It might not be enough access to sell. Like it's what you're saying. You have a little here, you have a little bit there. Um, when I can give you a high value skill just so I can eat, if it comes to that, mm-hmm. I'll take your little bit extra and give you a hell of a lot more back in skill or helping around the homestead or, or helping, right. um, you know, I did electrical, I did maintenance. So having that community and those skills was almost, I'm not going to say it is, it's not even close to as good, but enough to make it not as scary. It's, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a preparedness, right? Like, skill sets are actually a major part of being prepared for things going sideways. You know, um, if, if you lose a job, like me, I lost a job. I had had a job that wasn't providing. Well, I started doing handyman work. You know, was it ideal? No, but did it pay the bills? Yeah, it, it kept my family afloat while we needed right. it. And I can trade those skills just like you can trade those skills. And other people watching this can trade those skills that they've learned. Figure out what skills you're good at. Figure out what skills you're, you have that can be marketed or marketable and that other people need and might not have. And you've got something. Uh, you've got something kind of already already there and waiting. So, yeah, I think I think skills are a huge piece of being being prepared, um, and and it's just such a benefit to have them because you can go in different directions as needed. Got a question here. Um, wait, sorry, <laughs> it went up when I, right when I clicked it, another one came in. But um, uh, K Mock was wondering. The definition of with the definition of homestead can mean so many different things. How do you find your clients' needs without overwhelming them? Uh, I assume like if it's a brand new person, like, hey, what do you want to do? Yeah, <laughs> like these ideas for you. <laughs> yeah, here's a million ideas. Um, that is something that I have to be really aware of. Um, so I send out a, a questionnaire that basically asks a whole bunch of different questions. And I try and ask them in an open way that kind of gives me a real feel for what their experience is, what their goals are. And it actually helps them figure out what their goals are too, because they're being asked questions they may not have been, they, they may not have thought of before. Um, so that's my approach to it is send out this questionnaire before I go on property and meet with them. That way I have a really good feel for what they need and what they're looking for. And they have a a better understanding of what the options are. Um, So that helps a ton. Um, There is a bit of, when I'm on site, there's a little bit of, well, we could put this here or we could put it there. Here's here's the benefits and the trade-offs to doing this. And so there is a little bit of that. Um, So what I like to do after my 
uh, after my initial consultation is have an hour of phone consultation available for that client afterwards so they can process it because it's a bit of drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. And so I can process thinking about their property, you know, because when you sleep on it, your brain goes, no, that could that could go somewhere else. And it would make a lot more sense or it'd be closer to the house and easier to manage. Um, so or we could do it a lot less expensively with this material. Um, so I like to do a follow up uh, consultation over the phone after I've been out there. So now I have a really good idea of the lay of the land. I have a good idea of their resources, their time that they can put into it, what they're capable of. And now we can kind of revisit after both of us have had a little bit more time to, to think on it and chew it over. So are you doing, so as, as your homestead consulting, uh, I mean, we, you kind of walk through the initial, uh, someone contacts you, you, they fill out the questionnaire, you do an on-site visit and then a follow-up. Mm-hmm. Is that where it ends? If you, or do you, can you, are your plans to follow the project through forever? Um, are you a set it and forget it? Um, ongoing management kind of what, what is your, what is your ideal client looking for and what, what services do you, do you prefer doing? I sure. mean, I love setting things up. Um, and you know, the, the, uh, the ongoing maintenance, yeah, I know how to do it, but I would rather help someone else get started. Right. Well, and yeah, I personally don't want to be like out every week, you know, after everything's set up and uh, tinkering with things. I want my clients to know how to use the things. And my goal is to get them as independent as possible um, so that so that if I can't get there, you know, it can be fixed or whatever the circumstance. I don't want a system where it's like special to me and I'm the only one to fix it, which I know some people want that because it makes them, uh, it gives them a a recurring, you know, income, but I don't. Um, So the the next step in that process after the onsite consult is um, if people want to design, I'll put together like an aerial design. I'll use, um, I'll use a mapping system and I'll overlay a, a, fairly generalized plan like here's where certain pieces of infrastructure go here's where your garden goes here's you know all those things from an aerial view um and then i'll also write out a more specific uh, i call it a roadmap where it's it's like uh bullet points like you know one two three on the big things and then under those big bullet points are here's the Here's the additional items you need to think about as you're doing this, the things you need to put them in place uh, in what order. And that's to try and avoid that issue of, you know, I got goats but didn't have a a good fence. uh, And now I'm spending all my time chasing my goats around and I don't have time to get chickens uh, or I don't, I don't have goats anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really only advisable in certain situations, honestly. Um, so, uh, yeah. are you, are you local? Are you just local? Are you, are you kind of where anybody wants to pay you to go? So mostly I'm focusing on local. So I'm, you know, I'm mid middle Tennessee is kind of my sweet spot. Uh, Southern central Kentucky. Um, anything that's within two, three hours is, is where I like to focus. Cause I know the area. Well, I know the soils. Well, I know the plants. Well, um, I'll do phone consultations as well. So I'll work with people out of state 
Um, and I just have a, a rate for that, but I can't be as specific. I can't be quite as helpful, um, uh, because there, there's really no substitute for visiting a site, you know, seeing how big that tree is that you can only see from above on the satellite picture, right. uh, seeing what the actual slope on the property looks like. You just can't do that, uh, from the online tools, not the way you need to. Um, but I will help people, um, if somebody wants to pay me enough, I'll travel as far as they want me to. So there's that too, but there is, there is something to be said though, for knowing the climate, knowing the soil, knowing the plants, <laughs> like it's in your wheelhouse. You have a lot of experience. Like if somebody said, Hey Ryan, come to Arizona and, and plan me a food forest in my desert. Okay. Give me a while to look that shit up, please. Yeah, exactly. And food forest probably isn't going to work real well. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can you can do a lot with water catchment and retention in the soil and all that, but yeah, you're probably not going to have a forest. You might have a uh, food brush area or something. Oh, <laughs> uh, so so uh, you do. I as I'm traveling around in Tennessee, so we're in we're in West Tennessee, but uh, I mean, it's, it's, the state itself is pretty much blown up. Uh, I'm seeing lots of. Um, lots of clients for you for sure yeah. it seems like a lot of people are settling a lot of people um seem to be delayed in building mm -hmm. uh from what i can tell lots of people living in campers on places with driveways cut in and no house right. um i mean that that's that's your wheelhouse right there my man right yeah it absolutely is i saw the need around like i said i was i was just doing it for friends and family and realized that i enjoyed it and it worked out really well for them uh and they you know because of my mistakes that i made previously and learning from them they didn't have to make those mistakes um and so yeah it, it was this big marketplace in tennessee where so many people were moving and so many people's eyes were being open to the reality of our systems being so broken um it seemed like a, a spot a niche that needed filling um and there's some other great guys who do it in this area too but most of them are you know there's there's some guys more out by you there's some guys more out by uh, knoxville and east tennessee and my area really didn't have anybody doing this or the couple of people who were i didn't feel like we're providing a good service at a decent price so um so yeah it was a it was a great niche that i wanted to fill and uh really wanted especially wanted to be able to help people Nice. Is there, uh, is this, uh, is this where it's at? Is this, uh, is this your ideal dream? You got anything else in the pipeworks? Uh, you got two businesses already. Uh, yeah. is there going to be three or, or are we just kind of going to hold off and just dial these out? I was just talking to my wife like last night about this. Um, I've, I want to really dial these in my, my home inspection is like it doubles every year. And so, you know, the, the law of, uh, what do you call it? I, I'm just, I'm thinking of like money and, and how it compounds. So the law of, of compounding, um, you know, it's taking off and I'm, I, that's great. Um, I don't know if I can get a ton better at it, but I can always learn. Um, so there's a certain amount of plateau you get to there, uh, with the homesteading stuff and the permaculture stuff, there is no end to the learning. Um, but my wife and I were talking about how can we add 
small businesses, like very small things that were are not intended to get large on top of that, that could benefit us in some way. Um, and I was talking with one of my, one of my friends and earliest clients about this as well, where we could, let's say I've collected a ton of, um, of prop like plants that I've been propagating for my own property. And they're the best ones for the region. Like I've got amazing strawberry plants and the best mulberry tree I've ever had, or like I've the best mulberries I've ever eaten. And it produces like crazy all summer long. And I've got blackberries that do amazing. And so to start a propagation business where my wife or my daughters or uh, my friends could help do that. And I've got a, I've got a client base of people who I want to get the best products to. We've got this built-in client base. I don't want to make some big thing, but to have those products available at a good price to the people I'm already helping so that I don't have to say, well, you should get some blackberries and I like this kind, but I don't know where you get them. Um, and I don't have enough for you. That kind of sucks. I'd rather have enough that they could, you know, buy them and I could show them how to propagate their own. Um, Propagating is growing money, man. That was, that was my, that was my biggest income earner on the farm was comfrey. Nice. I had two, I had two over 200 plants. I had like tons of revenue streams coming out of it. And I was so upset about having to be done with it that I set myself up. I mailed, I, I set people up with my stock and mm-hmm. I never took my listings down. Like okay. I only put them on pause because I couldn't dig in the winter in Minnesota. So on my yeah. natural cycle, by the time I was able to turn it back on in the spring, the per- people I had set up the earlier year are now just filling my orders for me. Sure. And, uh, yeah, propagating, man, growing money. It's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's actually another business I'm I'm looking <laughs> looking at. Another very small one is um, my sister started a business called Mythically Good, their skincare products. I think she's got them on Etsy, but they're really, really good whipped tallow uh, okay. skincare. So they're really, like, they just, they work really well. They're not the the typical garbage that you find. Um, and there's no like olive oil in it or whatever, which olive oil is fine, but it goes bad or rancid so quickly. Um, and so I want to work with her to get, uh, comfrey infused tallow to do that with. So I've been propagating a lot of, uh, it's actually, uh, what do they call it? True comfrey or, uh, the fish and all version. So I've got a whole bunch of, it, it propagates via seed. Um, so I've got a whole bunch of that going and we're, I'm hopefully going to start, uh, helping her by, by adding that in as a, as an offering for her nice. by, by providing the, the comfrey. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It's it, the plant. It, the plant's amazing. I, it is, it was, it was probably the best decision I ever made was ordering that first batch of it and putting mm-hmm. it in and watching it come up so quickly and then biting it and buying the next large order and then i was done buying it it was kind of like i knew i could propagate it out to the size i wanted to be in like five years right or i could bite it and buy a huge chunk and double it and i was there in one season yeah and so that's what i did and man it worked out and it was one of the wins like i had a lot of losses (laughs) a lot a lot a lot a lot of losses uh that was a good one and uh yeah, 
you say yeah. propagating and I say any plant that you can grow is, is a good idea. Yep, absolutely. And I've found a lot. I mean, blackberries, you just stick the, you know, you stick the end in the ground and you've got a new plant, right? So that one's easy. I can have my, yep. you know, I can have my eight year old do that and she'd love to, she loves doing that stuff. Well, um, what a great way to teach them entrepreneurship and, mm-hmm. and nature and growing and like the whole the whole full cycle i love i love seeing people teach kids plant businesses garden businesses things like that because they have to have the garden part of it too right yeah exactly and she's got you know our land is is being developed she's got so much access to all this and my other daughters do too but they're they're littler um so why not like she loves it. She, she wants to help me in my businesses. Um, she's just a little bit too young to go with me on inspections, but you know, uh, probably some someday in a couple of years, she'll, she can go with me and start learning by the, that. By she the time to. she's old enough to go, she's going to be too busy slinging, <laughs> slinging plants and stuff. Yeah. She's going to be like, Hopefully. dad, I got time. You can pay me to come and work with you because I got to take time away from my stuff. Right. Yep. Exactly. That's that's gonna be the day you're gonna have the biggest smile on your face. You'll be like, okay, I'll give you twenty. How much does that get me? She'll be like, not out the right. driveway, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. No, if I can teach my kids economics and um, and how to how to stack real wealth before you know before they're adults, like what a blessing to them because they can stand on my shoulders instead of have to learn all the lessons I learned. Very much true. Very true, man. Anyway, um, we're kind of coming up on an hour, and I told you before, um, plug away. We've been kind of talking about your stuff. How about you do me two favors and kind of tell people where they can find both of your businesses? I'll have the links in the description and everything, but the audio uh, people driving might be able to catch it listening. And then go ahead and take the floor, man. And, um, man, if you want to go an hour and a half, Go ahead, but uh, I'm gonna listen and leave the leave the leave the audience with anything you anything you got. Man, I really appreciate that. I don't think I'm a good enough salesman to go on for a half hour. Um, but yes, I do. As we talked about, I do home inspections. So if you're in Tennessee uh, trying to buy a house, if you need a real estate agent who won't screw you over, um, I've got a lot of connections in that area and. Um, I'd be happy to help with home inspections. It's, it is something I love to do. Um, and I'm, I, I think I'm quite good at, um, so if that's something you're trying to do, give me a call. Uh, you can find my information at clarityhomeinspection.com. So that's pretty simple. I think, um, as far as homestead consulting, uh, I try to say what I do and do what I say. So the homesteadconsultant.com is my website. And uh, only because homesteadconsultants.com was taken. So I had to put the the on there. Uh, as far and I will, I can help people out of state. I can do phone consults. You can find all my pricing. I try to make it as transparent as possible. So there's a pricing tab on my website. And you can go to the homesteadconsultant.com, read through what I offer, what I do, some concise explanations of what what kind of things I can do for you and how I can help you. And if you like any of it, uh, you just reach out my phone number, my email address and all, everything is all on that website. Um, my, the stuff I've done on YouTube, 
um, is, is through what's called love farm. That's where I actually started doing my first kind of consulting work and building work. Um, <clears throat> so I helped a, a friend build out kind of a, a permaculture system on three acres that she had just sitting there. Um, and so I started a YouTube channel while I was doing that and we called it love farm. She calls it love farm. And so I just started, uh, YouTube. So it's youtube.com forward slash at love farm TN. Uh, of course the links in the description, but if you just search love farm TN, you'll find all my videos on YouTube. I have them on Odyssey as well. So you may find it that way and please watch on Odyssey and not YouTube if you can, um, give them the support. So that's, I think that's it in a nutshell. I love helping people out. I love building community. I love getting connected with people in my area. Um, and the, the consulting I like doing in my area because I can get on site. Um, but I will travel if, if, uh, people want me to and, um, and I can do phone consults and, and video consults as well. Awesome. So awesome. thoughts are get out and start doing things, start a side hustle, um, start bringing in some, some money that isn't coming through your, your main job, learn some skills, teach your kids skills. Um, don't let your kids sit in front of a screen. If they're doing that, try to try to get them detoxed and get them out and doing things because once they do, they'll love it. You know, the first time you go to a, a waterfall, they might whine and complain, but by the second or third time you do a, an awesome outdoor hike, um, their mind's going to start changing and they're going to start becoming, uh, no longer a slave. And I think we were, as a society, we're raising, we're raising a lot of robots, a lot of slaves who are slaves to their screen. And, um, if, if you can do anything to get your kids off that screen and out interacting with the real world, um, they're going to live a much healthier, happier, better life. All right. I might've lost you. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. Right. It went, I went the whole, the whole episode and I didn't blip out completely. And like, I've listened and all of a sudden you just stopped and I'm like, Oh no, really? <laughs> Well, hopefully it's still live on my end because it's just. A oh quick yeah! Pause oh, there. oh yeah! Oh, yeah! It still goes. It still goes. So cool, um, man! I really appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed the chat, and uh, it was interesting to find out that we kind of traveled that same path to Minnesota, and then uh, yeah. we're both hanging out in Tennessee now. You're you're a little bit more permanent than I am. Yeah, well, I'm sure I'll see you at probably the next Self Reliance Festival, right? Oh yeah. Oh, for cool. sure. Yeah. There's a, there's a big group coming of uh, guys in my audience and myself, my wife, and yeah, we'll have a good time. We'll have a good time for sure. Awesome. Well, so. it'd be good to see you there. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. I appreciate you coming on. I, like I yeah. said, all the links are in the, in the description and uh, hey, hey, have a good night. Brian, thanks so much for having me on. You have a good night too. Yeah. Hang out for a second. I'll catch you when I wrap up the show. Will do. All right. Thanks, Ryan, for coming on and talking the Homestead Consultant. He he does what he says and says what he does and says what he does and does what he says, I think is, is how he said it. Uh, but anyway, thehomesteadconsultant.com, I believe, and the, in the video description and the audio description, just go down there and click it instead of taking my word for it. I appreciate him coming on and kind of walking through that journey with me. And uh, what a great chat.
if you enjoyed what he had to say, check out those links and uh, check it out and give him some love, subscribe, follows, uh, all those different things on all the different places. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others. You can find it at thelotsproject.com or on Noster, Telegram, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Rumble, and Instagram. Be sure to listen on one of your favorite podcasts, 2.0 Value for Value podcast players like Podverse or Fountain.fm. Make it a great night, guys, and we will see you in the morning. I can feel the sound